sportsgrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. Sportsgrid.com. Welcome to hour number two of a Wednesday live right here on the morning after on SportsGrid. Sirius XM channel 159. That is the home for SportsGrid radio on Sirius XM all across the SportsGrid network. I am Ben Stevens. Thank you for joining us here on this Wednesday. A ton to get to in hour number two. We go around Major League Baseball, a big event on the PGA Tour this week at Quail Hollow. And of course, we continue to look at the NBA playoffs with some big news early on this Wednesday. It is reported and expected that the new NBA MVP, Joel Embiid, returns to the lineup tonight for Philadelphia, barring any setbacks in the next six to eight hours or so. It has moved the line. We'll discuss what that means for game number two for the Eastern Conference and this series between the Seas and the Sixers. But we start this second hour of a Wednesday with Puck Talk with Ben. Round number two of the Stanley Cup playoffs beginning last night, the conference semifinals. And what was the story really in round number one? Dramatic upsets we did not expect. One team knocked off the reigning Stanley Cup champs. Another team knocked off the best team we have ever seen in the history of a regular season in the National Hockey League. That was the Florida Panthers. But all right, great. You win an opening round series. You win the final three games. You're down 3-1 in that opening series against the Bees. The momentum for the Panthers has to slow down at a point, right? No, not on the road last night. Up in the Great White North against the Leafs, where all of the momentum was with Toronto. Their first playoff victory in the opening round against Tampa Bay in 19 years, snapping a 19-year drought, nearly two decades of not winning a single postseason series. Well, they didn't win game number one of their second series. Maybe they're not used to being at this point as Florida takes game number one as a huge underdog on the road in Toronto by a final score of four to two. The Leafs were a minus 182 favorite on that money line entering game number one last night. But this is what the Panthers know how to do. Win games as a dog. They won the final three against Boston outright they won the final three inside or they won three I should say inside TD Garden as well knocking off the Bruins at home a team that lost only four games at home all year long Toronto entered last night as a minus 184 series favorite the Leafs also entered last night as the favorites to win Lord Stanley's Cup a plus 380 number now the Leafs the second best price behind Edmonton at 5-1 to one to hoist that cup this year. And they're an underdog now in this series as Florida is the slight series outright favorite minus 130. So the Panthers took out the best ever team we have seen in the history of a regular season in the NHL in Boston in a game seven on the road in round number one. The Kraken did that to the Colorado Avalanche, the reigning Stanley Cup champs. Last night, it was an absolute blitz in the opening period very early on between Seattle and Dallas in Dallas. The Kraken had a 4-2 lead after the first period. No goal scored in period number two. Dallas evens the game with two goals in the third period, sending us to overtime 
where Seattle pulls off another upset in a game one on the road. They beat Colorado in Denver in game number one of their opening round series, five to four last night in overtime for the Kraken. As we welcome in our Sports Grid Radio audience here, hour number two of the morning after. It's a Wednesday Puck Talk with Ben, live on Sirius XM Channel 159, and all of our radio terrestrial affiliates now in the fold as well. I am Ben Stevens. Dallas last night scored four goals, all of them from Joe Pavelski. A 38-year-old scored all four for the Stars, albeit in a losing effort and again Dallas was the series favorite entering last night a minus 194 favorite on the money line to win game one also a minus 194 favorite to win the series outright however Seattle stealing game number one on the road they are now even in the series odds minus 110 on both sides so what does it mean for the Western Conference odds well you will see here that both Dallas and Seattle two teams that are playing against each other trail both Edmonton and Vegas who will open up game number one in Viva Las Vegas tonight both the Oilers and the Golden Knights ahead of Dallas and Seattle so game number one tonight where Connor McDavid, the man that was sensational all year long for Edmonton, leads his Oilers into this opening game in the desert. Yesterday, it was minus 110, an even money line on both sides on this Wednesday morning. Game day in Las Vegas. The Oilers move out just inching ahead of the Golden Knights, a minus 114 price as your very slight road favorites, an over-under of six and a half. McDavid in that opening series for Edmonton against L.A., where they were tested by the Kings, three goals, seven assists, 10 points overall in six games for the Oilers. They will need more of that from McDavid, Leon Dreisaitl, the entirety of this Oilers staff to advance to a Western Conference Final. Again, Edmonton the favorites to win the West. Game number one in Carolina between the Hurricanes and the Devils tonight as well. The Canes right now, just a slight favorite, minus 120 ahead of the Devils on that money line. New Jersey, even money, plus 100. That does it for Wednesday's Puck Talk with Ben. What will Thursday bring? We'll find out in the Stanley Cup postseason tomorrow. More of the morning after, live right here on Sports Grid next. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Around Major League Baseball, we go. It's the Daily Bases, live right here on a Wednesday on the morning after on Sports Grid. I am Ben Stevens, Craig Mesh here as well, the host of Newswire, our MLB insider, all across the Sports Grid network. Craig, thank you for joining us on this Wednesday, as we discussed yesterday on a Tuesday, a day perhaps of celebration or at least optimism for Philadelphia. Bryce Harper makes his return to the lineup for the first time this season. His season debut yesterday against the Dodgers in Los Angeles. And Craig, it was improbable that Bryce would be ready this early on after undergoing Tommy John surgery less than five months ago. But he is back. 
Now, with all the excitement yesterday, it wasn't the prettiest picture for the Phils. L.A. wins 13-1 against Philadelphia. The second straight day, the Dodgers have scored 13 runs against the Phils. And Bryce Harper went 0-4 with three strikeouts. So, Craig, what is your assessment of Bryce Harper in his return for the Phillies? Yeah, probably. Look, first game of the season for anyone, whether it's opening day, the World Series, or in this case, coming back from a significant injury, there's going to be some nerves there. He struck out three times, uh, you know, didn't look entirely comfortable in his at-bats as well. But I, I guess the question that you always have to ask yourself, Ben, is that is it better to have Bryce Harper playing at 70% or 60% as opposed to, you know, sort of any other player that they're throwing out? And the answer is always yes. So maybe there's a little bit of a work in progress here. But at the same time, really tough left-handed pitcher to go up against as well. And I would expect a launch off at some point for Harper. I don't know if it begins tonight, but no question. Harper is going to get there without a doubt. And probably the best pitching performance for Julio Arias of the season yes. for L.A. last night. Seven innings of work, only allowed one earn and struck out. 10. So, no, Bryce Harper wasn't necessarily profitable in the prop compartment yesterday. But, Craig, what does his return over the next few weeks mean for Philadelphia here in May? Yeah, it, it definitely means a lot. As we talked about on the show previously, it'd be great if Trey Turner got going. It's really sort of baseball so crazy. It's like Trey Turner had this incredible run during the World Baseball Classic where you just couldn't throw anything near the plate or he would hit it out. And, and hasn't really shown that same power since the season began. And I understand baseball's hard to get everybody going at the same time, and that's usually what happens when you win a World Series in September and October. But uh, adding him to the lineup definitely creates that dynamic where teams have to look out for the guy before him and the guy after him. And there, look, there's just no doubt at some point Philly's just going to continue on. And those three teams between the Phillies, Mets, and I, I saw the Braves in person last night, and, and the Braves still look to me like the team to beat in the East. But no doubt, those three teams are going to be battling it out. And Miami's going to you know, try to stay in it as well. The Braves blanking the Marlins yesterday. A 6-0 victory for Atlanta. The Braves, the World Series favorites. But again, Craig, it was Philadelphia winning the National League pennant, representing the NL in the World Series against Houston last year. The Dodgers still a top-five price to win this year's World Series. Craig, of the two teams we saw in L.A. yesterday, who do you think is better suited to get to a World Series this year? Yeah, it's still the Dodgers for me. I'll never change my opinion there. I know they struggled in the postseason last year, but they always find a, a way to figure it out. They always add players at the deadline. And, Ben, it's almost like right now they've added a player at the deadline in April. They added this guy, Mookie Betts. You ever heard of him? He plays shortstop now. It's it's like sort of incredible how how good and how athletic this player is, and he's playing very well in the infield. And Major League Baseball just released about 10 minutes ago the Players of the Month. Kershaw, the pitcher of the month in the National League. James yeah. Outman, the rookie of the month in the National League. So make no mistake about it. The Dodgers are extremely well run, and they'll be there in the end. Health is going to be a big compartment of what they're going to do. Uh, you know, simply put, Ben, to have bets at shortstop, it's great, and he's playing very well, but this is, like, not the plan going in. So I'm sure that they're going to have to right. make some adjustment, add a player or two. It'd be great if Chris Taylor got going, too. And that was a key yeah. component to their team a couple of years ago. It just hasn't looked right. 
Five straight victories for L.A. right now. The best team, though, in Major League Baseball, that would be the Tampa Bay Rays. They have the same number as the Dodgers, plus 750, tied for the third best odds to win the World Series. We don't see Pittsburgh up there just yet, Craig, but entering yesterday, these were the only two clubs in all of MLB that had registered 20 wins. Craig, did you anticipate on May 2nd that the best game of the Major League Baseball slate perhaps at least between the two best teams was going to be between the Rays and the Pirates yeah of course Ben we talked about that in March no no doubt no, nobody had this <laughs> happening for sure and a great game yesterday another I mean this Harold Ramirez like he played on Miami I saw him play a ton he actually played well for the Rays last year and they put him in the right spots in platoon. But all of a sudden, it's like his pace is like 30 home runs this season. He don't run yesterday. So, uh, but even let's give credit to the Pirates. Even in a game, Ben, where they don't win, they only give up four runs and lose four to one. I believe the Pirates have logged the most starting pitching innings in Major League Baseball this season. And that's not luck. That's a skill. Their pitchers are doing very well to start the year. So that should not be a surprise when you're not having to use the bullpen over and over again that you're going to win games. I mean, Ben, the biggest, you know, to me, the thing that's forgotten about in baseball, I've talked about this a ton, is relief pitchers in baseball. Ben, they're very, they're very good pitchers. They're major leaguers. They're the best in the world. Yeah. But, Ben, relief pitchers did not grow up at 10 and 12 years old thinking that they're going to be relief pitchers in Major League Baseball. Right. I mean, you don't want to have to go to your pen early and often in a baseball season that's a recipe for disaster at the end of the season so in pittsburgh's yeah. benefit to this point they really haven't had to go to the pen that much we'll see if that continues craig right now the bucko is tied for the best record in the nl 20 and 10 straight up alongside the atlanta braves craig considering where these two franchises are the pirates off to the second best start or tied for the best start in the national league the rays historic to start this season 24 and 6 straight up in comparison to one another and based on relative expectation entering 2023 who has had the more surprising and positive start to this year Oh, it's still Pittsburgh for sure. The Rays are just doubted every year and they prove people wrong. But you look at that run differential, that definitely tells the story there. I mean, plus 106, Tampa Bay should be exactly where they are. Now, as far as Pittsburgh is concerned, what you would want to know is, look, I mean, you kind of know who their offense is a little bit. They're going to be a little up and down. And obviously they're playing without uh, O'Neill Cruz too. But can they sustain these, these starting pitching performances throughout the season? And by the way, if they can or come close, if they're still in it, are they willing to push the pedal down a little bit more, Ben, and acquire players to stay in this race? The current roster that they have, I don't believe is good enough to win a World Series. Can it hang around 500, maybe make a postseason push? It appears that way. How aggressive are they willing to get in a season that they didn't expect? That will be the question. 80-1 to one to win the National League pennant before the year. That price has been cut in half for Pittsburgh, 40-1, to one, but still 6-1, to one, the fourth of five prices in the National League Central. Today, Craig, after another rainout for New York, the Mets visit the Tigers in Detroit for a doubleheader. We expect to see Max Scherzer get the start for game number two, his first start since the sticky stuff suspension. What do you anticipate Scherzer will bring in the start against the Tigers? Yeah, I anticipate not a lot of runs being scored in a place in Detroit where they've had bad weather and the Mets' bats have been, you know, obviously 
unable to even get on a field with so many rainouts. Eight and a half to me seems high in this game. Uh, so, Ben, I, I would think that, you know, 4-3, get out of town kind of situation here, especially when you're playing the second game of a doubleheader. But maybe the first game will be more of an indication because neither team is throwing out their ace, so to speak, in game one. So we like it under there, Craig. Quickly, 20 seconds. What's the DFS plays for today? Yeah, we're going back to last night. Uh, 2,000 fans saw Oakland play Seattle. We'll go with Logan Gilbert. Maybe 5,000 fans will see Gilbert pitch well. Seattle against Oakland. Willie Adamas, uh, shortstop or, uh, for the uh, Milwaukee Brewers in Colorado tonight at course. Ton of Major League Baseball to do. That's why we bring it down to the wire. Craig, thank you. More TMA next. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. It is a big week on the PGA Tour in the 2023 schedule, the Wells Fargo Championship at Quail Hollow, one of the best venues and tracks they play all year long on the PGA Tour. Welcome back to a Wednesday live right here on the morning after to get you set for this big week at Quail Hollow. Cam Rogers joins us here, the host of the Lock It In podcast for Believe, doing a ton of work for Believe and Stadium as well. Cam, we appreciate you joining us once again to go around the PGA Tour and a conversation for what we can expect to see this week at Quail Hollow. Thanks for being here. What's going on, Ben? Good to be with you, sir. Big time event this week out there at Quail Hollow. Another elevated event on the PGA Tour. So the best of the best are competing this week. The best of the best in the field. We'll get to them in just a moment. But Cam, let's start with Quail Hollow for this 2023 Wells Fargo Championship. What should people know about the keys of playing well at this golf course? Yeah, this is going to be a difficult track. If you like seeing the PGA Tour golfers out there struggle, you will be satisfied with four days of competition here this week. This is a big boy golf course, 7,500 yards. But when you see that number, you think, oh, par 72. No, it's a par 71 at that number. Eight par fours span well over 450 yards. Plus you have been what is called the green mile. Two monster par fours, and then a long par three guarded by water. It is no coincidence whatsoever when you look at the past winners here. Bombers off the tee. The long distance drivers of the golf ball have the advantage at this golf course because obviously you have shorter shots into these greens. And for the shorter hitters, you're 200 plus yards out hitting four irons and five irons, that is not conducive to birdie opportunities. So definitely keep an eye on the Bombers here this week. That's why the likes of Jason Day and Rory McIlroy have played really well here in years past. Yeah, so Cam, of this year's field for another elevated event on the PGA Tour with the best and brightest at Quail Hollow this week, whose games fit this course the best? Well, I think you have to look at the favorite at 7-1 to one over there at FanDuel. Rory McIlroy is the perfect combination of stats, course history, recent form if you X out the Masters. And I 
still eat that chalk. I will not talk you out of it either if you want to eat that chalk at 7-1. He's not my prediction to win, but I totally understand if you go in that direction. So Rory is a guy. Tony Finau just won last week at the Mexico Open. He has proven that he can win multiple times in a short span of time. He's 17-1 to right there. Bomber off the tee. Like him a lot. Cameron Young, 17-1. to Another guy who can crush it off the tee. It could be finally his time here this week. Would not talk you out of an outright play there as well. So you sort of get my logic here, right? If you play well yeah. in the elevated events and the major championships, that typically means you are a longer driver of the golf ball because major championship venues these days are pretty long. And, of course, Quail Hollow is a major venue in its own right, hosting the PGA Championship. So Victor Hovland, I like a lot as well. Those are the names that I'm kind of keying in on here this week. 17-1 to 1 for Tony Finau. He won back-to-back -back consecutive weeks last summer on the PGA Tour. Some big news for that guy you see there with the second shortest price as well, Patrick Cantlay. 13-1 to 1 for Cantlay, who has a new caddy on the bag. Joe LaCava, who has been on the bag for Tiger Woods for recent memory. Joe LaCava texted Tiger Woods late last week when the opportunity became available to be on Cantlay's bag. And obviously, Tiger not playing all that much anymore. Told Joey to go to Cantlay. So a big caddy shakeup, at least, on the PGA Tour. So, Cam, you gave us whose game's best fit, Quail Hollow. Who is your pick to win the Wells Fargo Championship this week? I'm going with Victor Hovland to get it done here this week. This course seems like a perfect fit for him as one of the best tee shot players on the PGA Tour. And listen, he's a big game hunter, right? T3 at the Players, T10 at Bay Hill, T7 at the Masters, all big time events. He hasn't missed a cut in a non-major in the U.S. in almost 15 months. T3 back here, by the way, in 2019. By the way, last year, this was not played at Quail Hollow. It was played at TPC Potomac. So for your handicapping purposes, maybe don't put too much stock into last year's results. But yes, Victor Hovland is my guy here this week, 17-2-1. Cam, you already talked about the chalk for Rory McIlroy. As we look at some finishing positions now on the card this week, who do you think has a very good week at Quail Hollow for the Wells Fargo? You know, Ben, it kills me inside when I have to eat the chalk like this, especially in golf. It's random. It's volatile. But I will go there with Rory. He loves this golf course, gaining 2.8 strokes per round in 38 rounds here at Quail Hollow. That's the third best rate of any golfer at any course since 2008. All right, so eat the chalk there. Totally fine. Ricky Fowler, it's time, Ben. He's going to win at some point, but I think – he is due for another top 10 here on the PGA Tour. He won here, by the way, back in 2012. That seems like many moons ago, but Long I do think he ago. gets back in the winner's column at some point there, Ben. So love Ricky for a top 10. And then also Cameron Young, eighth in strokes gained off the tee, fifth in proximity from 200 yards out. Good big game hunter as well. Top 10s at the Masters and the API. So that's my top 10 card there. I like the look there, Cam. I remember watching that final round in 2012 with my dad when Ricky Fowler was able to pull off a victory at the Wells Fargo. A dandy of a shot into 18 sealed the deal for Fowler. An American in the field this week, Cam, because it is an elevated event. The best and brightest from the U.S. will be playing at Quail 
Hollow, when you look at the prop component for this week's Wells Fargo Championship, Cam, who do you think would be some value from that perspective to be the top U.S. player? Yeah, a lot of good names on the board, as you see, courtesy of FanDuel. But I'm going to go in the direction of Cameron Young at 14-1. to Yes, I like him for a top 10. And yes, I also think there's some outright value with this guy here this week. He is going to win at some point on the PGA Tour. Would not be surprised if he wins a major this year. But again, Quail Hollow might as well be a major championship venue this week, right, Ben? Because we are talking about an elevated event. We are talking about a par 71 that's 7,500 yards long. Cameron Young, top 10 driver here on the PGA Tour, makes a ton of birdies. Listen, it's a tough bet when you're talking about top American given week on the PGA Tour because there are a lot of names right. to choose from. But Cameron Young is my guy here this week, Ben, and I like that number. I think, Cam, it's a really interesting component of golf handicapping that's a little bit better. We think of them as stacks across the sports landscape, but if you think Cameron Young can contend for an outright championship, that's very difficult, despite that big plus money price. So if he has a good week and he maybe finishes fourth, you cash a lot of bets, top 10, top 20, so on and so fourth cam speaking of the top 20 finishing positions who are a couple of names maybe not at the top of the leaderboard you expect to have a good week at quail hollow i really like keith mitchell here this week he fits the distance profile that you want here t3 in 2021 t9 in 2019 also t34 way back when in 2018 different golfer back then he's much better now the last 24 rounds he's 22nd in this field t to green and ball striking so keith mitchell fits the profile that i want here this week wyndham clark has been fantastic with his irons 12th in approach 11th in driving distance coming off a top 25 at the mexico open keep an eye on wyndham clark here this week and then tommy fleetwood grinder has made six of seven cuts on the pga tour and he has the balanced game that i want here this week eighth in this field in strokes gain total 24th in ball striking 10th tee to green 37th in putting really doesn't have a weakness right now has played well here before obviously at major championships too so i feel really good about this top 20 card here this week cam the wells fargo championship an elevated event on the pga tour in 2023 next week in fort worth it's the 18t byron nelson the week after that at Oak Hill Country Club in Rochester, New York, it is the 2023 PGA Championship. Cam, we're about to hit the summer months in golf where every few weeks there is going to be a major championship contested. What are you keeping an eye on over the next few weeks that will tell you some players that are in good form for the entirety of this summer? Yeah, number one, it's ball striking. How is your T2 green game leading into Oak Hill, leading into Liverpool, et cetera? That is very key for me. Number two, Ben, listen, the live guys can hang around. They did it the Masters. Yep. Phil was T2. Like, what? So I am eating crow in that regard. I told everybody, let's wait and see. Let's wait and see. Can they hang around? They can. So there is some legitimacy to potentially placing some bets on live golfers at these majors even in the outright market so ball striking and the live guys can hang around two key things for me here two big topics two big themes cam will we be paying attention to all summer 
long. Cam Rogers, thank you so much for joining us. As always, on this Wednesday to get us set for a big week, an elevated week, on the PGA Tour at the Wells Fargo Championship at Quail Hollow. Cam, as always, thank you so much. Enjoy the high school reunion this week back there in New York. <laughs> it's going to be electric, Ben. I'm giving a toast. I mean, it's going to be wonderful. A toast to Victor Hovland at 17 to 1, winning the Wells Fargo. Make everybody or high school some money, Cam. Thank you very much for your time. Around the association in the NBA playoffs with Zach Parr up next. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Welcome back to the morning app. Live right here on this Wednesday on Sirius XM and all across the sports grid network i'm ben stevens very pleased to welcome on our good friend zach parnes you have seen him all across the sports grid network over the past few months here to break down some nba playoff basketball a recap of last night and of course we look forward to game number two tonight in boston where the new nba mvp joel Embiid, expected to make his return after missing the opening game of that eastern conference semifinal series zach thank you so much for taking the time to join us here on this Wednesday morning on TMA. Ben, my absolute pleasure. Uh, I have two words that I want to open up with, though. Circadian rhythm. Mine is totally destroyed mm. from watching the NBA postseason. Last night, another textbook example in the Los Angeles Lakers and the Golden State Warriors. I know we're going to get to that game. Eastern Conference looking absolutely amazing. I mean, we got MVP'd in the mix now as well. Uh, so just a ton of theatrics and, and also the drama that we have come to love and expect from May and June NBA basketball. And some underdogs looking really good last night in Tuesday's doubleheader, including that late-night game in San Francisco. The Lakers going on the road to the Chase Center, upsetting the Golden State Warriors, winning outright as a four-and-a-half-point underdog. Parnes, what did game number one of this marquee matchup in a Western Conference semis between Los Angeles and Golden State teach you about the rest of this series, potentially? Oh, man. Uh, teaching points? There's so many of them. One is that if you see a Jordan Poole line in single digits, you might as well just slam it for the points over. I mean, that guy looked like the most confident shooter of all time, as touted by his 49-footer uh, there to, to potentially tie the game as the uh, clock was winding down. But uh, Poole's line not actually available for Game 2. Sorry to disrupt all of you fans out there. But I think the thing that it did teach me is that the thing I've always known – with betting the NBA playoffs, and that is that the Golden State Warriors are a live money line threat at any point and any time. It looked like they were going to get mm. right back into the ball game after being down double digits with just a few moments to go in that contest. But the Lakers, I mean, talk about a team that opened things up extraordinarily slow, especially from three-point range where they start just two of ten thanks to one from LeBron and one from Austin Reeves. But otherwise, that team just decided to play their own game, work towards the interior will let Anthony Davis get double digit rebounds and by the way by double digit rebounds I mean in the 20s and on top of that he's going to 
progress and add on a 30-point performance as well. That equaled a whole lot of great yeah. stuff for L.A. and allowed them to actually accentuate their game while Golden State was playing the three-point bomb contest that we've known them to play ever since Splash Brothers became a thing. But I'm not sure that it teaches anybody anything about the value in terms of actual championship lines because that one game really impacting a ton of those across the board as the Lakers go to plus 650 from plus 1,000 starting things off yesterday. And then that loss not really helping the Warriors out a ton. I mean, you see them back in the landscape of plus 650 after opening as plus 450 yesterday too. So the movement, I, I, I know I'm not saying anything too crazy here, but clearly favoring the dubs, but they're still behind a massive one game and they lost in their home arena, a place where they only had single digit losses and points, especially in the second half of the season. There were a lot of teachable moments in there, Ben. I'm sorry, did, did you get all that? Do you have it for the pop quiz? I hope so. A lot of information that you just spewed out right there, but I think some solid points. Golden State, a 14-0 run in the final four minutes or so in a span from 5.30 to 1.30 left in that fourth quarter. Moneyline Live, a good look until ultimately not coming through, but always can look at Golden State to make a run throughout any given series, any NBA playoff game. The Warriors and Steph entered last night as the series favorites, now the series underdog, getting down in that 0-1 hole. Game number two tomorrow night on a Thursday in San Francisco, Golden State a five-and-a-half point favorite Barnes as we look at the series odds now as I mentioned the Warriors now a series underdog the Lakers the series favorites outright at minus 164 Barnes give us a series prediction who wins this Western Conference semifinal set and in how many games oh man that is tough to say I I think obviously anybody who knows this game knows that game two probably holds the entire rest of the door hinge for the Golden State Warriors. And if they want to be able to close that door on Los Angeles, they're not only going to need robust play from Steph Curry and Clay Thompson, who they've counted on year after year, they're going to need more refined play on the inside from Draymond Green and Kevon Looney, Anthony Davis, I mean, the, the, the hunch has always been that he just is never going to be there in a healthy capacity, right? Well, we saw a healthy AD last night, and he looked like he had Arnold Schwarzenegger-type strength inside on the interior. But in total, I think that the Warriors, if they claim this game too, do end up pulling this whole thing around simply because of the experience, the longevity, and the fact that the Lakers are still kind of meshing, right? So many of these players that they brought in, Rui Hachimura, um, you know, the likes of D'Angelo Russell, are just sort of dusting the rust off in terms of the chemistry. Granted, they're working with two of the greatest superstars in the game right now, but how do the Lakers go home and finish this series out if they don't win a game two in Golden State? That is the big question for me. And I think the Dubs get the win in game number two. And therefore, that plus money, I'm, I'm definitely riding that. I'm drinking the Kool-Aid, so to speak. And the Kool-Aid is Steph Curry and Klay Thompson flavor. Still the shortest number right now for the most likely outcome in this series. Now with the Lake Show a favorite, the Lakers in six, it's plus 290. Tomorrow night, only one day of rest in this series in San Francisco. Once again, the Warriors a five and a half point favorite. But Parnes, let's get to game number two tonight in Boston, inside TD Garden between the Celtics and the Philadelphia 76ers. Earlier this morning, Within the last hour, the report, the update from Sham Sharania of The Athletic and doing great work for FanDuel TV as well. The new MVP, 
The winner of the award, Joel Embiid, told his teammates last night in the quick celebration after being crowned the most valuable player, Parnes, he would be back. He is expected to return for game number two. The line earlier this morning was nine and a half with Embiid's status uncertain for game number two. Now it's just seven and a half. Parnes, two points of movement. But where does Joel Embiid make the biggest impact for Philadelphia tonight in Boston? I mean, where doesn't he make the biggest impact, right? I, I think that this guy has been continually doubted time and time again, told he doesn't have the pieces around him, had the injury concerns, et cetera, et cetera. Everybody who is a Philly diehard fan knows the narrative surrounding the Cameroonian kid in Joel Embiid. And I think that when he comes back tonight, we're going to see a massive explosive performance in terms of him defensively, but mainly on the offensive side. Now, granted, there's been a lot of guys that have stepped up when Embiid has been gone. Now, the Sixers were 11-5 and without him during the regular season. They saw great play from Gorgeous Yang, got a number of other guys involved there as well. But I think that overall, if the Celtics are going to go down 2 nothing in this series. Embiid has got to be red hot, and he knows that. I expect a lot of turnaround baseline jumpers, a percentage that we see mm. upwards of 50% of the time he's hitting that kind of clip and shot. I think in order for Embiid to come back and have this be a successful performance, the stat sheet has got to be totally dominated by him. I don't think anybody is expecting anything less, especially considering the stakes of this kind of caliber of performance, and especially because mm -hmm. this is an old-school rivalry renewed anew again. But Ben, another thing that I'm kind of interested in and in how Embiid impacts this game is in terms of the points scored over under. The Celtics are 5-0 and in their last five games in terms of the over uh, in that capacity. So anybody who's looking for big points to be scored tonight, they probably say, well, the Eastern Conference, nice and physical on the interior, but 216 and a half, that looks mighty juicy for teams that ultimately have great closeout shooters. People are having fantastic performances out of nowhere. The likes of Derek White, James Harden really coming alive too. Clearly, we've expected him as a former MVP and superstar of this league to be able to do that, but he just wasn't scoring at that same clip. Somebody else I'm keeping my eye on, too, Tobias Harris. I mean, he's been red hot here throughout this entire postseason with seemingly no talks about him. 54-52-100. Those are his shooting clips thus far. Field goal, three-point free throw. So Tobias right now sitting at that, like, 16-and-a-half point mark. I would definitely slam the over in that capacity. Even with Embiid returning, I think that it's going to free up some more opportunities for the power forward, especially in that mid-range where he loves to cook and eat. The odds have moved really all over the place, Parnes. You look at Tobias Harris's points prop down to 14 and a half. James Harden down to 21 and a half, despite the playoff career best performance, 45 points on Monday. Why? Because Joel Embiid is expected to play, and JoJo now a points prop as well at 25 and a hook. It moved the over under up by half a point to 217 and a half. And Parnes, it's not just game number two where we have seen that odds movement based on the return of the NBA's most valuable player. The Celtics entered this series with Joel Embiid's status in question as a minus 560 favorite to win it outright. Now, it's just minus 138. It was nearly $2 in the overnight hours, but the Celtics now just a minus 138 favorite to win this series outright. So, Parnes, with Joel Embiid back in the fold now, as we expect for Philadelphia, how does it change your view of this series overall? 
I mean, it definitely swings things to Philly, right? I mean, with the MVP back and somebody to control the interior against a slashing uh, Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, the entire dynamic of how the Sixers play basketball has changed. That is clear to a lot of fans out there. But not only that, there is a sense of sort of now you have the superstar back to be able to combat these other superstars. And as we've seen time and time again, whoever's big men, and I don't just mean the seven-footer in MB, but the big men in terms of scoring can stick around the longest and play the longest we are going to see big things from them. So I, I think that the Sixers, they're looking at things extraordinarily pretty right now, getting that one game advantage. I don't think anybody counted them into that contest as evident from the initial game one line and also just from the amount of money line bets well over 70% that were favored on the Boston Celtics. But I, I think for the Celtics, the bigger question is how do they rebound against all of this hype, right? Because now you've put yourself in the position where everybody is looking at you under the gun. Yes, you still hold maybe some of those favorite odds, but can Jalen Brown really put up 25 while Tatum is putting up 30? That's been the question for them all season long. Do they get those other players involved? Do we see bigger defensive performances from guys like Rob Will on the interior? It's going to be the biggest questions overall. Get those numbers up there right now. I mean, Tatum's points props have been so juicy this year, Ben. I know that a lot of people have been loving the way that he's been able to score at ease, but we do have the tendency to see those Tatum-esque stat lines come out of the 9 to 25, 1 of 10 from three-point range, et cetera, and that's something that could certainly throw the wrench in that 29 and a half and make it look not so obvious along the way. 39 points for Jason Tatum in game number one. Pawns will finish with game number three on Saturday in South Beach. Miami gave New York everything they could handle yesterday inside Madison Square Garden, but only 30 seconds left in this segment. What do you expect to see for game number three between the Heat and the Knicks on Saturday? I expect Jalen Brunson to go back to work once more. Maybe not with the same efficiency as he had last night, but as the Knicks go, Jalen Brunson goes. If this team is playing hot, he seemingly finds a way to continually elevate them time and time again. Listen, man's got his dad on the bench cheering him on as well. It's a good reason to go ahead and hammer a little points, assist, rebounds prop for Mr. Brunson next time around. Villanova Wildcats showing out in New York City. They know how to play inside the garden with his teammate from college, Josh Hart, now with the Knicks as well. Zach Parnes, thank you so much for your time. We round out the morning after. Up next, live right here on Sports.